Jesus. But, you know, firstly, I don't know about you, but I far prefer reading news, the newspaper. Yeah, I still read the newspaper. Uh, I, I, that's that thing that you get in, you know, in print, uh, hard copy. Uh, I actually have it delivered to my uh, driveway. I don't know if you guys even remember that they still do that stuff. But uh, uh, anyway, I like the Wall Street Journal. It just happens to be the, the print that I like. But I far prefer reading the newspaper with uplifting stories versus, you know, the crime re report, which seems to be many uh, TV or newspaper writings, more, more TV, you know, it's who killed who. But, uh, you know, every now and then you get these terrific stories, which I think get under-told, uh, where, and I want to just highlight two stories of, that are read, uh, and you probably read them too, uh, in the, not immediately recent history, but of people that just really overcame their fears in just remarkable ways. Uh, the one was a story out of Detroit, and uh, a guy was driving through the neighborhood, and he uh, accidentally hit a, a child, and he got out of his car, uh, he was very uh, apologetic, he didn't like run from the scene, but the local neighborhood came out and they just started beating this guy, and they just started laying into him, and they were just pummeling him. And this uh, uh, fairly elderly lady, uh, tiny, uh, saw this from her porch, and she just ran into the middle of the crowd, sort of got in between all these guys just kicking this guy on the ground and just dove on top of him and just held on to him and said, you know, don't kill him, don't kill him. And uh, so finally they, the, the guys like all back off and, and uh, you know, they interview this lady and they said, well, how were you able to overcome your fear of just like, and she said, well, I don't even think about it. I mean, like anybody would do that. And we all like, you're reading the article like, yeah, I don't know, not anybody would do that, you know. And, and she just thought it was the most ordinary, natural thing in the world. Just uh, she saw this guy being unfairly treated and just went into the rescue. Uh, a more uh, popular story that many of you may have remembered was in New York City somewhat recently where a guy was in the underground, he was waiting for the train uh, and uh, some person just had a heart attack or some issue and he collapsed and he fell off the platform onto the rail uh, and the commuter train was you know, rapidly approaching and this random uh, fellow commuter dived off the tracks uh, off the platform, onto the tracks, pulled the guy off the rail, and then sort of huddled as the train went over and, you know, saved the person's life. And then afterwards, likewise, they <laughs> asked the guy, how did you overcome your fear of jumping onto a, a track, you know? And he said, well, well, wouldn't anybody do that? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you know, here's somebody that's clearly going to die. The train's going to ride right over them. I mean, and just didn't think it was a big deal. But, I mean, you think, how does somebody overcome those sort of fears? Now, uh, I think we all have fears uh, one way or another. Uh, it may not be that type of fear, but, uh, you know, some people have a fear of public speaking. Uh, I was certainly one of them. Uh, you may have a fear of traveling overseas, or you may have a, a fear of spiders, or maybe on an emotional level, you may have a fear of losing your marriage, uh, or you may have a fear of running out of money, or you've got health fears, or as we just saw in this video clip, you fearful as a mom, like, you know, firstly you're fearful if I have kids, uh, and then when you have kids, you're fearful 
will I be able to raise the kids? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we just, we just as people have a lot of fears that we have to overcome. I think almost every fear has a spiritual component. Now, think about this for a moment. Uh, Jesus says, or the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So no matter what fear we're trying to overcome, or we have, there is freedom when we have the Spirit of God with us. And the Spirit of God is able to overcome you know, our fears, sometimes instantaneously. I mean, you might really have a fear of, of spiders, and I mean, they're kind of creepy. Most people don't like spiders, uh, but some people are just like, petrified and you know god can heal you instantaneously or you might have a, a, a fear where god is working that in you and it takes a progression it takes some time and maybe it's the fear of raising your kids and and god gives you the confidence and step by step but with the spirit of god there is freedom there's something that we can get uh, from the lord when we experience god's you know help in overcoming our fear. Now today I want to uh, talk about and, and read and preach on a story out of Mark, and it's pretty uh, popular, well-known story about uh, Jesus walking on water uh, to a very uh, fearful uh, bunch of disciples in the boat. But let me just pray before I, I preach. Uh, Holy Spirit, I just welcome your presence. Uh, I just empower me to preach. Uh, Lord, I just pray that every person here today, that I would be able to connect with them, that you would actually be the person uh, connecting with them. So Jesus, I just uh, ask that your presence and your power would be here today, that you would really help us in faith see what it is that you're doing in our lives and come alongside us and help us overcome our fears. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, let me just tell you the story first, and then I'll read the story, and then we'll uh, dig into it a little bit more. But uh, many of you are familiar with the story about uh, Jesus uh, walking on water. But it goes this way. Uh, Jesus has just done this incredible miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And uh, then he says to his disciples, he says, Listen, uh, you guys get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Uh, I'll dismiss the crowd and uh, then I'll, I'll join you. And so that's what unfolds. Uh, but it turns out that a big storm brews up, and it's really quite late at night, and uh, the disciples have been rowing across this lake for a, a couple of miles, and it's now you know, in the middle of the night, and Jesus is nowhere to be seen, and uh, the disciples are uh, really fearful. I mean... They really do have a natural fear. Uh, I don't know if it's a fear of drowning or if it's a fear of just physical exhaustion from uh, rowing and not knowing how they're going to get there. But then Jesus appears as a ghost walking along the water and they have a whole another level of fear. It's like, oh my gosh, we're in the middle of the storm and now we've got a ghost to deal with. And, uh, and while they sort of embodied in this fear, uh, Jesus seems to be not really that panicky. In fact, it looks like he's in a kind of joking mood and uh, he's just going to walk right on by, past them in the boat, and, and they call out to him that they recognize uh, Jesus. 
And uh, then Jesus gets back, gets into the boat with them, and the storm is calmed. And then Jesus makes this like remarkable observation. He says to them, you didn't get it. And they're like, didn't get what? And he said, no, you haven't made the connection between the feeding of the 5,000 and your fear of being in the boat. And they're like, what? I want to look at that story today. So uh, let me, uh, now that I've told the story and you know where I'm going, uh, let's, uh, let me read this. And, and if you want to follow along with me, I know we're going to have it up on the, on the screen. But uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus walks in water. So let me uh, pick it up here in the verse before 44. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. Jesus fed the 5,000. Uh, 5,000 men, families, and then it says in verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida where he sent the pe- while he sent the people home. So Jesus does something which is kind of remarkable. He says, okay, guys, uh, I know that after we've got a a big crowd, 5,000 people, it's normally pretty difficult to get out of here. uh, And uh, we're going to be here a long time while everybody's asking questions and talking and and wanting their needs to be met. Why don't you guys uh, skip out quickly, get in the boat and start going, and I'll catch up with you. And I'll do, you know, uh, tell the the crowds to go home and uh, and, uh, end the party. Which is actually, uh, you know, uh, what happens here on Sunday morning is pretty regular. You know, I love it when you guys come and uh, after the service is finished, typically people like bolt out of here super fast. uh, And, you know, the people that I most want to speak to are the visitors and the newcomers just because often they have questions and often they want to connect. And, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, but by the time I get there, they're ready at McDonald's or somewhere. You know, they're, they're out of here fast. But uh, often the people that really want to talk to me afterwards are people like, you know, they've got an issue with the sermon or they don't like something and they're like, uh, and then there's a whole bunch of you which is like at a party and it's like, we have to kick you out of here. It's like, you know what, uh, we've got the next show coming along. Like, can you leave and have lunch and somebody's got to lock up here and we're putting the lights down and, and but you know, it's, it's a good healthy crowd. I mean, I really love it in our church. Uh, people love to hang out and talk and and it's great because that's how we build relationships. But anyway, uh, somebody's got to close the door. And Jesus is saying to the guys, hey, listen, guys, you get in the boat. I'll close up shop and, uh, you know, probably pick up all the litter. No plastic in those days. No problem. Uh, and anyway, he moves on. Let me, let me get going here. <laughs> After telling everybody goodbye, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on the land. And now we get the tension of the story. All right, clearly the tension is building. they in the middle of the lake, and Jesus is on the land. And uh, you kind of get the sense of, okay, there's a disconnect here. Why are they separated? And something bad is about to happen. And then if you were fortunate enough to be here last week, and you heard Sarah preach, Uh, She was talking about uh, Jesus is greater than timing or our timing. And, uh, you know, once again, here is Jesus and he's going to take his time. Uh, I mean, he doesn't sense any urgency that they separated. In fact, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to go and pray. 
And it's not like this little quick two-minute pray, I'm, you know, pray and I'm done. No, Jesus like is just hanging out and it's like getting late and he's still praying, and, uh, which is kind of interesting right in and of itself. I mean, like after a long, exhausting day, Jesus, of all people, sees the need to go and pray. And he prays and prays and prays. And so as he's praying and praying and praying, the storm is brewing and brewing and brewing. And we pick it up here in verse 48. Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning. Now, that's a lot of praying for Jesus. And that's a lot of rowing for the disciples. And it is pitch black, middle of the night. I'm sure they are feeling pretty fearful, dark, big waves, wind, drowning. Not a good night. But anyway, here comes Jesus. Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. He intended to go right past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. I mean, they are not happy. This is not a good night. Jesus doesn't say a whole lot, especially in this account in Mark. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Okay, just like think about what Jesus is saying to them. He doesn't give them any explanation. He doesn't tell them how they're going to get rid of their fears. He doesn't tell them a whole lot. He just says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now, this is a good thought for whatever our fears are. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. If God is with us, uh, we can overcome a lot of our fears. We're not alone. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. I mean, Jesus just doesn't say anything. He just climbs in the boat and they were totally amazed. And then here's the kicker. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And there's the connection. You say, what? What's that got to do with Jesus walking in the water and he's saying, you didn't get it, guys. You didn't get the story with the loaves. And basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, if I'm with you, if I, my presence is with you, it's going to be okay. And it's like across all circumstances, physical needs, running out of food, dealing with storms, exhaustion, I mean, dealing with ghosts. I mean, Jesus is saying, if I'm with you, and he's saying to the disciples, you didn't get it. You don't realize how awesome and how powerful and how able I am. I mean, that's what they didn't get. And if we realize how awesome and how loving and how powerful and how capable Jesus is, it transforms everything. And what we don't have in this particular story in the telling of Mark, and what we do have in the telling of the same story in Matthew, is the additional piece where, G where Peter calls out to Jesus, well, if that's you, have me come out and walk on the water. And Jesus says, well, come on out. And so Peter starts walking on the water. And then what does he do? He starts noticing his fears, his problems. Notice, actually, water, realistic fears, drowning, not 
Too many of us have been walking on water. Uh, totally understandable that he would drown. But Jesus chastises him. He says, basically, Peter, if you keep your eyes on me, everything will be okay. But when you look at your problems, you're going to sink. Let that penetrate for a moment. If we look at our problems, we are going to be, we're going to sink. We are going to be overwhelmed with our problems. But Jesus is telling us, if we can look at him and fix our eyes on him, it's going to be all right. Uh, this is a, a tremendous spiritual battle that we've got to do. And it's a spiritual exercise that we've got to, got to do. It's a faith exercise. I mean, we have to build our faith. We have to believe that God will help us, that he will be able to overcome our problems. This is a faith thing that we have to uh, develop. So, uh, you know, let me, just, uh, let me just sort of apply this in a, little, in a little way. The more we look at our problems, the more our problems are magnified. The more we sort of play them again and again and again in our mind and what we should have done and could have done, uh, what we're doing is we're just magnifying, we're focusing on this problem. Now, it is appropriate to think about how you could have done things better and to spend a little bit of time analyzing your problem. But it's a whole different problem when you fixate on your problems. You're making your problems bigger and bigger. What we need to do is understand our problem, realize our problem, but then what we need to do is fixate on Jesus. He's the solution to our problems. And the more we can get our minds off our problem, in this case, Peter walking on water, and about a sink, and put our eyes on Jesus, the more we are able to break this problem or this pattern of fixating on our problems. So if you've got a bulletin insert, that's the first point that I'm trying to make here. It says, focus on Jesus and not on your problem. And the more we can do that, the more we're able to uh, experience God's power. Verse 52 for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. In other words, if we can understand the significance of God's power and the ability for God to do the miraculous in any one area, namely turning bread into more bread, or Peter walking on water, or Jesus jumping in the boat and everything just calm, Jesus can do the impossible. And what God is saying to us, can we learn this lesson? I mean, like, can we really learn it? It's a faith-building and a faith-requiring exercise where we say, God, you can, in my circumstance, overcome my problem because you are good enough and loving enough and more powerful enough. It's not so much about me and my ability to sort it and figure it out. It's up to God. I mean, this is a, a, an area that uh, we really need to... Uh, sort of get it. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, God regularly encourages people, sometimes through festivals and through uh, holidays and through events, to remember the impossible things that God has done in the lives of the Jewish people. Uh, so, okay, I got you through the Red Sea. You parted the Red Sea. And so we'll have a remembrance. We'll keep remembering the good things God has done. But what happens in the natural, as we see in the book of Exodus, uh, is people are parted. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've seen the waters parted. They've experienced God's miracle. 
But when they get to the other side, quickly their problems with other things over, you know, overwhelm them. And they're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? This is not good enough. We want to go back. And God is saying the solution is, let's fixate on what God has done and the power of God. And so we have this idea in the Old Testament is let's think about and remember and recall and have festivals of what God has done. Every holiday, every festival is something that God has done that's really significant. And we need to remember it. That's why we do Easter and why we do uh, Christmas as Christians. We want to remember the incredible, impossible miracles that God has done that's relevant in our lives. And that's what we want to focus on. We want to build our faith on that, not on all our problems. So the second point that I'm trying to uh, make is exactly that. Recall, recall, recall how Jesus has come through in your life in the past. Don't like just think, oh, those were just little coincidences. No, remember them and recall them. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you should be experiencing personal things that God has done in your life. You know, as I've said so many times, God over, helped me overcome an incredible fear of public speaking. I mean, I, I just couldn't think of a worse profession than doing what I'm doing. In fact, I sat in the pew, I elbowed my wife, and I said audibly to her, why would anybody pointing at the preacher do that as a profession? I mean, and, and the funny thing is, I think Jesus has this huge sense of humor because that is so like encased in my brain. I can picture exactly which row I was sitting in in Framingham when I said it, you know, just like real cocky, like, you know, leaning back and thinking like, and only to know God, like, ha ha, I'll get you, you know. It's like, okay, I mean, just how do you overcome these things? Well, certainly not on my own strength. I can tell you that much. I mean, I tried my own strength. I'd gone to Toastmasters. I don't know if you know that organization. It's a way of Helping you with public speaking, it was like a traumatic experience. I like forced myself to go this thing. I get up there and I dribble something out of my mouth for two minutes. I collapse in my chair. After I did it, okay, I spoke for two minutes. You know, like, what did you speak on? Oh, just like your life. Oh, that was pretty easy. And then they ramp it up. You know, eventually it's like, can you spend five minutes talking about the inside of an empty ping pong ball? You know, and, the, and those guys that just have the gift of the gab, they're like, blah, 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 blah. you know, I'm like, it's empty. What else? Sit down, you know, just... Anyway, public speaking, I mean, God can do it. I remember these things, and it's, it's, very, imp- it's very helpful. You know, you're like, God, I, you've just done so many remarkable things. And the, the idea is that when we remember what God has done in the past, we build our faith for what God is going to do in the current situation, the current problem. We're not hopeless. We're not alone. It's not like... I can't hear your voice. God, where are you? No, God is with us. He's doing something in us. And we need to recall the past. We, re, we need to think about the past. He has a little like slogan that you might want to remember. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. I mean, when you start becoming fearful, think, nope, I need to have faith. I'm going to focus on faith. I'm going to let my faith be bigger than my fear. I'm not going to let my fears consume my thinking my thought patterns, I'm going to let faith consume me. I'm going to let my faith be greater than my fear. Lastly, I want to just say this. Don't be afraid to take courage in Jesus. Don't be afraid to take courage in Jesus. You know, right now, uh, today, the vineyard in 
Montiano, Dominican Republic, are, ex are celebrating their 15th anniversary. And they've got like a big party going on. I didn't put up uh, all, they put a big tent in the park and they invited everybody out and they got the classic uh, Dominican Republic. You just set up in the street and tell everybody to take a different road that for the next few hours because they're going to have a church service and it's just awesome. And so that's what they're doing. But, you know, uh, when I think about uh, don't be afraid and take courage in Jesus, I remember when we went and started that, that trip. How many were with me on that trip? 2003. I don't know if we got any here. I know John Lynch was with me. Uh, Janine, you may have been with me. You know, we, get out, we go down to the Dominican Republic, and uh, my agenda is I want to start a church. Now, I don't speak Spanish. I don't know anybody down there. Okay, great. That's a great start, Rob, you know. And uh, so how the heck are you going to plan a church? That's like a bad, like, you don't see that in the manual. And, and so we go down there, and we're working in the village, and we're all doing service uh, items in this very poor beach community. It's really a shanty town of illegal folks that are squatting on, on land that doesn't belong to them. And they've created this community, and we're in there just trying to help them out. And the government, a year or two later, relocates them to the area that many of you have been to now. But, you know, in this, while we're down there, you know, we do a Bible study and uh, people just started showing up. Unlike America. Okay, I've got to tell you how this works. We've got no clue, no cultural awareness, like we're just trying our best. We get there and, 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 and my wife's an occupational therapist, so she's doing a whole session on how moms can develop uh, their babies and give them developmental skills and, and how, you know, working with different colors and toys and whatever not stimulates them. And she's doing all that with them and somebody else, a nurse, and they're helping out with medical stuff. And, and so I'm a pastor, so we do a Bible study. And so we say, hey, we're going to do a Bible study. Uh, anybody interested in a Bible study? And we think, yeah, that's a great selling point. Maybe like one person. Bible study. Bible study. And people start showing up everywhere. They bring in little white plastic chairs and they, I'm like, Wow. Bible study, you just have to say Bible study and people come out of their chairs. I'm like, five people, seven people, ten people. Okay, let's start the study. Oh, no, no, there's still more people coming. Uh, Fifteen people, twenty people. Oh, I didn't really prepare a real Bible study. It's like, okay, slowly now. Okay, thirty people, thirty-five people. Oh, okay. And then we do a Bible study. And so after Bible study, who wants to be a pastor in this place? And like, everybody, oh, I want to be the pastor. I'm like, oh, what, do you want money from the Americans? I mean, just a great setup, but it didn't work like that at all, you know. And, and I remember on this trip, I was down with John Gargan, and I was talking to Hilda, who's the mom of the pastor, and she was reminding me. She said, Rob, you got back to America, and you phoned me, and you just kept saying, who's going to be the pastor? And I said, I did? She said, yeah, you kept phoning me. Who's going to be the pastor? And I phoned her again. Hilda, who's going to be the pastor? And she said, finally, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know, I've got to find somebody. My daughter, how about my daughter, Rob? Well, that said, yes, that'll be good. And it was totally God. I mean, what a bizarre way of doing things. <laughs> I would never recommend it to anybody. But it was God. And, you know, when I say don't be afraid, take courage in Jesus, we knew that God had sent us. We knew that the, well, I knew what God wanted to do. I just didn't have any clue how he was going to do it. And now 15 years later, which is longer than most pastors serve, Morena is still the pastor and the church is still going and it, it's totally relevant church in their community and uh, that's their building on the left that they just now finished constructing 
you know, just really remarkable. Remarkable. Don't be afraid, take courage in Jesus. The interesting thing here is we need to be courageous. It's not something we just like do. You know, so when Joshua was going to go out, uh, God is telling Joshua, you need to be courageous. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because we need to be strong and courageous. And the funny thing is, when God is talking to him about this stuff, he says to him the second time, he says, does, he does not say be very strong and courageous. He says, be strong and very courageous. He emphasized the courageous part, not the strong part. And there's something that we need to get in our faith building exercise that we need to be courageous. We need to you know, build ourselves up in faith. We need to experience or allow God to build ourselves up in faith. We can't keep saying no to God and it won't happen and it can't. And We have to start saying, I do believe and with God it is possible and we do need to be courageous and God is telling us to be courageous because it's not going to be easy. And just because we have resistance or it's become difficult doesn't mean that God's not in it. It's going to be difficult. Uh, we know it's going to be difficult. Uh, it's still totally God. Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat and row the other side. I mean, it was difficult. They were drowning. They were battling. Doesn't mean it wasn't God's plan. God was in it. Uh, so we need to be in it uh, too. We need to be strong and courageous. You know, in Psalm 31, 24, it says, So be strong and courageous, all who put their hope in the Lord. If you put your hope in the Lord, you need to be strong and courageous. There's something that we need to overcome our fears by being strong and courageous. You know, when God speaks to Moses or to Joshua or to David or Peter or Paul, he doesn't say, hey guys, gather up, let's talk about your problems. No, he doesn't do that. He, he's always encouraging every leader, let's talk about faith in me, in, in God. And we need to be willing to gather up and say, God, I want to have faith in you. In uh, Hebrews uh, 4.3, it says this, For we who believe can enter his rest. If you pause and you think about that for a second, the ordering is very interesting. The first step is belief. If you want to enter his rest, your first step is to believe. If you believe, for we who believe, if we believe in the Lord, we can experience his rest. We'll overcome our fears. It starts with the Lord. Let me just uh, finish uh, let me just finish with that. Let me just finish and say, we believe first and we experience peace second. Uh, we believe in the Lord. Our level of faith is, Lord, I do believe that you can overcome my circumstance and my problem. I do believe that you're with me. I do believe that you love me. I do believe that you want the best for me. And as we start saying these things and we repeat these Bible verses and we repeat these Bible truths, it should build our faith. And we say, Lord, with you, anything is possible. And we don't fixate on our problems or our fears. We, we focus on, on the Lord. We believe first and we experience relief from our fears second. So let me just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I just pray for every individual here, every obstacle, mountain, fear, uh, what seems to be insurmountable. Lord, you have the ability to do the impossible in each person's life here today.
And so, Lord, I just lift up each person, their fear, their struggle, and allow you, Lord God, to overcome them. In your name, Jesus. Amen.